Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week. Um, it sounded really flat there, but I've actually had quite a fine week, it's been alright. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God, I really, you think I'd get better at these intros, wouldn't you? Um, I think it's because I don't think that everyone listens to them, so then I sort of panic about making them interesting. Anyway, thanks for, thanks for being here, thanks for downloading the show. This week I'm very excited about our guest because you'll hear at the beginning that I'm a bit of a fan and have been for years. Uh, This week I'm talking to the incredible Amanda Palmer. Uh, Amanda is uh, a singer, a writer, a performance artist, a former living statue, um, just an incredible all-round creative person really. She's also a podcaster, she's a brand new podcast that's already started called The Art of Asking Everything. They've had some incredible guests on already. Uh, including Elizabeth Lesser, Lenny Henry, and a death and dying expert, BJ Miller, as well. So it might be up our griefs alley. Um, I was so lucky that she uh, took time out of her incredibly busy schedule to talk to me. If you get a chance, do listen to the end. There's something a little bit special there. I'm not going to say what, but um, it's a beautiful moment. Amanda talked to me about all sorts of things in the topic of grief we covered so many things it was so interesting to talk to her but I do just want to give a trigger warning some of the other things that that come up in our chat include um, baby loss rape abortion um, miscarriage so yeah just in case any of those topics are sensitive to you Um, as ever I am very grateful that she spoke to me it was a really fascinating conversation and I hope you enjoy it I've been a fan of yours for so long. I saw you when you were in the Dresden Dolls and it was one of my, some of my favourite gigs. I've seen you more than once. So it's very nice to um, talk to you, even in these strange times. But has the rest of your lockdown been bearable because of new, because you're in New Zealand or has it just been pretty horrible? Oh, it's been really horrible. 
I'm so sorry, mate. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry. Yeah, my marriage broke down a month into lockdown. My husband left and I have been having a very hard time. (laughs) <laughs> it's been very hard that is not good timing on anyone's part we are trying to piece things back together but yeah yeah it's been like it's been a triple threat with you know relationship difficulties mm. and sudden single parenting and oh god yeah in a foreign country in an airbnb but also I'm in New Zealand. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of like you're in the, you know, that thing where you, you get pulled in by it, especially when you're a little kid, that feeling where you get pulled in by the undertow mm. in the ocean and you literally don't know which direction you're going and your mouth is full of water. And, and it's like, while you're down there, someone gives you an ice cream cone. <laughs> Here, have this. Yeah. You're so lucky. So you're like, you have ice cream yeah, and you're yeah. like, but I might die. <laughs> it's yeah, been a really strange that. combination of things all at once. God, I've been thinking about people who've been dealing with anything sort of grief related in lockdown because it's such a strange time and obviously I've been talking so obviously you know the show is about grief and death and I've been talking to people who've lost people during lockdown and I imagine a marriage breakup equally has its own grief and to deal with something when the world has sort of stopped is yeah a really well just a very bizarre experience like you said your your mouth is full of water but someone's like yeah. There's still ice cream. Yeah, and I mean, it's not really fair to call it a marriage breakup. I mean, we Sorry, yeah. We hit the skids and also could not we couldn't deal in a normal way. And um Yeah, yeah. You know, the same way people can't grieve in a normal way. Like I'm thinking of my friend in LA who's a writer and and um she was more or less raised by her grandmother and she just watched her grandma die over FaceTime. Oh, these stories are the ones that just absolutely... Yeah. And it's just like anything that we were used to, like the palette of tools that we had to deal with Mm. difficulties in a marriage or how we raise our children or how we bury our dead or like... It's like, oh yeah, no, you everything's changed. Like all those mm. things you've learned how to do as people, like those, yeah, that stuff doesn't apply right now. And then you have to watch what, how we deal. Like, okay, well then now what? Like, given all of the like, if you take all of the tools out of someone's belt, you know, what's the belt made out of? <laughs> and that's when things get really kind of fascinating. I mean, this is like. It's such yeah. an amazing mirror to humanity watching us all trying to deal right now. Yeah, I, I think that's a really nice way of putting it because I think we're so used to having this tool belt of survival methods and coping methods and now you're just left with your belt and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. Is this all I've got? I'm so used to being like, but maybe this will be fine and this will be, this bit of my life will be okay. And I think we're all used to having chaos in like a few aspects of our life and then to have chaos just everywhere it's so unsettling it's such an unnerving time such an unnerving time yeah um it really is so so in the show we normally focus on well sometimes one particular death or grief in general so is there anyone you want to specifically remember today or 
is it just a general <laughs> grief feeling? <laughs> I don't mind. We talk all sorts on grief cards. But some people have. Oh my god! You know, I mean, some people have a list so long. We just start from the top. And oh, go from dude, there. I've got a fucking million of them. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to drive you crazy, but I mean, one of the one of the things that I feel I have learned lately, especially in the last five years, especially since. Uh, since the death of my best friend, which was my first big death. Mm. I'm happy to talk about him because he taught me a lot and his death taught me a lot. But um, when I when I hear the word grief, it's been coming up a lot in the like in the internal work that I've been doing in with my friends in discussion in therapy. Grief has been coming up so much more often around things that aren't the death of a person. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of my friend whose parents were so deeply toxic and abusive that, you know, she got into her forties and after years of estrangement and trying to make some kind of peace with them and, and peace with the abuse and, she said, I just have to grieve the loss. Mm. And she cut them off completely. And she she had to mourn the loss like a death. And it can be the same way with a, with a relationship, with a marriage, with a friendship. And even like with an idea of self, like a career that, that dies and you have to grieve the loss of, you know, I thought I was going to go X and instead Y. And I actually find it incredibly comforting thinking of grief as this really necessary part of moving to whatever is next. And we're so fucking bad at doing that. <laughs> like, we're just we are bad, so bad at it. We're, yeah, so, we're so bad, bad. at it. I mean, so bad. and we're bad at all of it, right? Like, we're bad at dealing with dead people. We're bad at dealing with birth. We're bad at dealing with abortion and miscarriage and, like, the loss in general. But we're, like, we're just bad across the board at knowing that there needs to be a period of, like, mourning, grief, reconciling ourselves with the loss of a thing or an idea or a person or whatever it is, a pet, and then you go to the next thing. And um, that's just been such a hardcore theme, especially in my circle of friends lately, that like we weren't taught mm. how to do that. There's a really interesting woman called Pauline Boss. I don't know if you've come across her. She's, I think she's American. And she is basically the woman who coined the term ambiguous loss. Mm. And she talks about how because when it's not the death of a person, there is this kind of, oh, I shouldn't this isn't grief you know and I do think I mean I've been doing this show for four years and mm. we do normally focus on dead people or dead pets is often coming up a lot or as you said when we deal with abortion or miscarriage when however you class that as people or persons or babies or fetuses um but there there is a lot to be learned from your grieving a person which I think can help you grieve other things in your life mm. and I think that's sometimes quite connected that when so I lost my dad at 15 so I sort of joined the club early as we say on the show and I think once you 
once you understand grief, once you sort of let it into your heart and you can go, oh, okay, this is life. This is what it is. Yeah. When you do have it for other things, sometimes it can be hard to recognize it. So you're like, this isn't grief. This is just, I'm moving house or I've lost a job or, you know, all yeah. of these things you attach and, and being kind to yourself and being like, oh, this is grief as well. This is also grief. And I think the grief of a person is so, it's almost like the, it's a weird thing to say, but it's almost like the perfect form of grief because it's so clear it's so that that thing is, it's so concrete. Yeah. That thing is gone. I cannot see that person. And ambiguous loss, as um, Pauline calls it, when it's sort of something else and you can't quite put your finger on it. Or some mm. people feel like this loss of um, a pregnancy because they didn't, it wasn't, was it real? Was it not real for them? They didn't get to meet that thing. And it's it's being kind to allow, like you said, to allow ourselves to have that loss because we're just not taught how to deal with grief at all. And so I think mm. we run away from it in all aspects. Yeah. What you just said brought up my um, my brother, who was actually mm. my, my stepbrother. He was six years older than me. And he died when I was 20. And I've only just started to piece together how badly it was all dealt with. Mm. There's a whole list of things. Like I I loved and worshipped him, but didn't feel totally accepted by him. So I mm. sort of felt like I wasn't allowed to be in the club of people who were completely sad. And when I say not accepted, he wasn't awful to me, but he was like, you know, he was the older, cooler one and I was the youngest of four. And like, he didn't, you know, he didn't, I, I barely counted. I felt like I wasn't part of yeah, his yeah. I wasn't part of his cool older universe. And and so I felt like everyone else had more of a, a authentic right to be in grief. And also I was living overseas. I was a exchange student in Germany when it happened. And my whole family gathered. He he died when I was over there and my mom was actually coincidentally with me to visit when it happened. And she flew home and I wanted to go. And my my parents encouraged me to stay in Germany so that I wouldn't mess up my studies. Yeah. And I didn't think at the time that that was worth a fight. I was like, oh, I guess they must be right. I mean, it's just a funeral, he's dead. So why get on a plane to go home to America for a week and it's really expensive and I'm supposed to start school next week. And I, I didn't clock it. Yeah. And then 20 years later, I was like, oh, fuck. I didn't, I didn't get to do the thing. Mm. The importance of ritual is, is massive. <laughs> and I think you don't, it's hard when you're young, a young person. Yeah. And, and I think it, was, it comes I, from a good place, doesn't it? Like they, you, you, I think there's, especially that generation, there's that need to be like, oh, protect the child. Don't disturb them. Like the, yeah. their emotional needs should be destruction. Yeah. And I feel like in some other culture, it would be like, you know, over our dead body, will this person not be at the funeral to respect the dead? Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. And I think back too to to where I was at the time, and I was all alone in a little Italian town where my mom and I had gone off for a vacation, and then she fled. Yeah. And I was all alone, like really all alone. And I didn't know what to do. 
And mm-hmm. and what what's funny is I like I was a very theatrical kid, right? And I was 20 at that point. I wasn't like a child. I was you know, I was 20 and I and I thought like I I have to do something. Like I have to somehow mark this somehow like something has to happen. Yeah, this yeah. is ridiculous. Like well, and I guess you were searching for a ritual, aren't you? You're searching I went, for that. Well, and that I went searching for a ritual and also like, you know, intellectually was like, ugh, Amanda, you're so performative and like this is, <laughs> you have to have a ritual. Like that, how theatrical and how dramatic and how silly, but also how real. And, you know, I was really dealing with a lot of like head weasels at the time anyway about mm. what, about my own authenticity. And I, um... I went to the little teeny local bar and I ordered a whiskey and I took it with me out of the bar in the glass. And I, it was very late at night and it was this little seaside town. And I, I went, I went down to like the little shore by the dock and I picked some flowers by the, you know, on the beach. Mm. And it was, I don't know, it was probably 10 o'clock at night and I, I took my clothes off and I swam into the water holding the glass of whiskey (laughs) and these flowers. And I was like, I don't know, like this seems like something that I would see in a film. So it's got to be valid. This feels valid. (laughs) And then also like, ugh, Amanda, like this is so ridiculous and you're so ridiculous. And why, you know, and I poured the whiskey into the water. I think I drank some of it. I poured the rest in and then I let the flowers (laughs) go. And I just thought like, well, I don't, I don't really know if this is right. I feel something about what I'm doing, even if I don't feel anything Mm. deep. And I went back onto the shore and I put my clothes on and I went back to the little hostel or whatever I was staying in and I went to bed. And then I went into a cafe the next day and a couple of the townspeople knew my mom and so they knew who I was. And this guy came up to me and he said, Amanda, you're the daughter of Catriona. And I said, yeah. He said, I saw you out my window last night. <laughs> you were floating naked in the water. It was like La Dolce Vita. And I was like, I was so fucking happy, which is so very yeah, on brand yeah. for me, right? I was so happy that I wasn't aware of it, but that actually my performance was witnessed and that that means <laughs> that somehow like now Carl's death is real. Now his funeral, his fucking weird yeah. fake funeral that I held in the water was real. And like the old Italian man walked away and I was like, and, and maybe great. Yay. He got to see my tits and like some, <laughs> the some happiness of the universe has maybe gone up 0.00001 degrees. Cause that happened. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the end, that's my weird story about my fake <laughs> funeral for my brother, but I think that's amazing. Yeah. I think there's something, I mean, you know, I'm, <laughs> I was definitely a theater kid, so I completely understand that slight drama sense that happens and that also that's like checking that you have to keep doing with yourself because you've spent your whole life with people being like oh my god you're such a drama queen what are you doing now so you're like oh god am I doing that thing that everyone tells me off when actually as you get older you're like oh that thing is what will make me money and make me happy and be my job um but I think that's really interesting because what I find fascinating about rituals and funerals is like even even though the world told you, you don't need to go, it's fine. Somehow you knew I have to do something. Like, and it's funny, isn't it? Because 
we sort of make them up, like you said, from snatches of films and books and a sense of needing to be with nature. Like, it's so interesting that you went down to the sea, you drank alcohol, you picked flowers. Like, we somehow know we need to do something. Yeah. And actually, I think it's kind of beautiful that you know like your parents had a point it would have been hugely expensive and exhausting and stressful for you to go back that that's not untrue but it's also true that you needed to do something and I guess that's it isn't it when you to to have that acknowledge that your grief is important just because you can't come back home it doesn't mean that you are not part of this ceremony yeah and that maybe you need to do something and I think people just I think it's amazing that you did it because so many people would have the feeling and not yeah. You know, they would just be like, oh, I'm just going to go to bed. I'm silly. This is silly. But to listen to your ch- inner child and your inner little person being like, no, no, I want to do, I want to take my clothes off and get in the sea. <laughs> I yeah. yeah. I think that's great. Well, that's amazing. And also, like you say, and, you know, we as theater kids or performers, like we realize this is some kind of gift and it, you know, it can make mm-hmm. me money and it can make me living And also, like, you just put your finger on something really important, which is that it can also, it can make us whole because we don't bang up against that wall of inhibition when when there is a thing Mm. that needs to be expressed. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm very grateful for that. I've definitely had times when I've been talking to people about death or they've just had a grief and... And being able to be like, no, I, I know what needs to be expressed. Or I think I do. Yeah. <laughs> and when you, especially when you're dealing with people who find that difficult, it is a gift to be able to go, no, no, we can go there. I can hold your hand and I can be, yeah. do the ritual, be emotional. And I, I don't feel the need to pack it up, which, you know, obviously is traditionally seen as a very British thing to like pack up all those emotions and put them away. And oh, good it's Lord, not, um, you guys. I know, I know. Um, not all of us, not all yeah, of no, us, no, but no, yeah, no. definitely it's a, but, yeah. it's a, um, it's a thing. It's a tradition that I, I definitely, that's what I feel when I'm in that mode of this needs to be expressed. I still definitely have that feeling of people being uncomfortable of like, yeah, no, 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 don't do that. And I think that's so nice that he said, I saw you. Yeah. <laughs> but just... I enjoy it, like, good for you almost. I think that's amazing. Well, and you what, know what, um, I mean, what's also great about that story, there's so many layers to it, is that I didn't then turn to him and say, oh, yeah, that was a funeral for my brother. Yeah, I just let yeah, him yeah. think it was some, like, glorious, spontaneous, <laughs> I've just got to jump in there with my flowers and my glass of whiskey and do this thing. And, like, he can have his own idea about yeah, it. Yeah, and um, definitely. And, you know, I think about performance so much like what we perform and what is and isn't you know there and it's all a performance right I I I deeply Mm. believe that I think that people are kind of checked out to how much they are just performing their lives and that actually that's okay that's how we connect to each other but you know like even telling you that story it was like so exciting for me like I did that thing and it and like it it can have a value you know I, I think there must have even been this like little part of my 20-year-old brain going like, someday, someday it will carry <laughs> some weight. I will tell some person. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, when I, when I had a miscarriage, um, it was one of the first times in my life that I really did not feel called and still don't really feel called. And it was a few years ago to, mm. to share very much about the rituals that I created and needed to create around it. And and there was something really striking about that. 
I really learned a, a, a great deal from that miscarriage and also thinking about it and reflecting on it. Like the things that I had to do that were really just for me, that I, yeah. that I had to do and enact and physically tie up so that I could get to wherever was next. And it, and there wasn't that sense of, I wonder if someone's watching. Mm. It really was one of the first moments in my adult life where I was like, no, I just, I just need to, to do this. I'm not wondering if the cosmic scorecard is, <laughs> you know, is somehow yeah, being like, yeah. if, if this is being ticked off somewhere and, and so many so many parts of having a miscarriage, you know, sort of brought me up to a whole new level of, of being, you know, going through it, know, knowing that I was going to go through it, going through it, going through it alone, which was really mm. kind of mind blowing. And then the aftermath. And then also, um, you know, going on a tour last year and talking about it. I didn't talk about the rituals and I didn't talk about a lot of the small things, but I sort of talked about the big thing happening and sort of uh, probably much like your podcast, it was such an uncomfortable thing to continually discuss, but it was so, but it was so satisfying. And it, because Mm. every, every time I sort of worked through it, on stage and sort of like conjured it back up again. It, it healed just like one more, you know, like taking out one more stitch. Yeah. That was a big one. And when I think about grief as growth, I think even more than the death of my best friend, I think that was the big teacher was losing that baby. Yeah. That's so interesting again, obviously from doing this show and talking to so many different people about so many different aspects of grief and starting to see, I think when you have your first big grief, it burns so hard, like like your first broken heart, you know, mm. that you sort of think, oh, it will always be like this. Yeah. And then as you, as I've got older and I've had different griefs, I've always been like, wow, every grief is, is different. You, it touches on that same nerve and that same place in your heart, but yeah. it it offers so much different stuff because your relationship to that person is completely unique and completely different. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting that like you said that when you had the miscarriage, it became so much more internal and personal and about you healing yeah. to get to the, rather than something like that kind of community ritual that we've been talking about where it's like, oh, I need to do something yeah. for, to, you know, to mark it. And um, I mean, I, I've said this before on the show that, I am amazed at how much talking about my dad every week healed a huge part of me in a way that I never, ever expected talking about him publicly to do, ever. It wasn't why I went into this process. It was never something on my checklist of, oh, that will be good. And I always say, like, I'm not recommending everybody gets a podcast and talks about their dead dads every week. But I do think talking about it to different people in a safe space they, where you feel safe and you feel in control of that grief where it's not sort of sprung on you, someone just asking you, yeah. is incredibly healing, incredibly healing. And each time you tell something, like you said, you don't have to go into the, the intricacies of it, but talking about it in a way that you're comfortable with, it's like, I understand like that feeling of like, oh, like another tiny patch of yeah. skin has grown over that scar. Like, it's just like, oh yeah, that's not quite, it's still painful. It's still definitely there. 
but just not point not 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 one percent of it now feels not healed always makes it feel like it's not there it's still there it'll always be there that's what grief does it doesn't disappear yeah. but knowing that the sharing of that experience is so important i think is interesting Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. One of the things that's coming up now in a pandemic and that mm. and that's an important part of that story with my brother is that our one of our biggest instincts with loss of a person is we gather with the others, right? Yes. And when we can't do that, there's a there's like a second grief. <laughs> it's like a yeah, yeah, it, you know, and we are really, um, you know, we're really fucked in that department right now. I just was talking to a friend in Melbourne who lost her mom and, you know, she was in her last stages of cancer and a bunch of kids and they're all local. And, you know, her visiting hours were minimized to the point where, you know, each child, they were on like a rota and each child could go visit her once a week for an hour or something really horrific Mm. like that. Yeah. And, and their instinct was like, we have to be together doing this. This isn't right. And so they actually just like, they said, fuck it. And they pulled her out of the hospital and they just, they, they got her home just so they could physically be in a circle yeah. around her when she died. I think this is such a reflection too of how like this false bill of goods that we get sold around what what we should be able to deal with mm. al- alone. It's a very American thing too. Like really if you just, you know, if you really just try. <laughs> You can deal with, you can deal with anything on your own because you're an American, because if you just, if you just try hard enough and you just put in some elbow grease and you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can deal with just about anything all alone. And, 
And that's a real fucked up mentality. Mm. You know, I find that so, so interesting that (coughs) this sort of American um, philosophy, because I think uh, as with many things, culturally to, to a country that attitude is makes loads of sense when you're a pioneer totally <laughs> like when you're you fucking when you're have like, to because you have yeah, to yeah like when you're you're <laughs> traveling across to california and there's nobody else around and you are literally you know establishing a new country on top of a country that already very much existed yeah. and you wouldn't you need that attitude to be like you know what pull yourself out your bootstraps carry on and yeah. It's a bit like we talk about this British lack of emotion. It's like, you know, when it comes when you're living in a small country with lots of people, with lots of diseases, and, you know, you're going through another war. Yeah, you know what? It makes sense to stop crying, get on with it. We've got another day. But then it's like making a culture aware of time. Like Mm. you've moved. You're not there anymore. You need to grieve that time, let it go, and you need to look at what's happening now. And I think this inherited way of dealing with grief is so Mm. unhelpful to people now. Yeah. Because I think that's amazing that they they did that to have, like you said, to physically form a circle around their mum. Like that feels so right. Yeah. But it takes a lot of it takes a lot of strength to argue with doctors, argue with the hospital, and be like, no, we're going to do this. You have to really be like, this yeah. is the right thing to do, which totally. is hard. Totally. I have a um, a good friend who lost her husband when um, their son was very young, and mm. I think he was four or five. And she used to say to me, it's so unfair that I don't get to wear a black veil. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot on the show. Of yeah. the, Again, this weird thing. So, you know, the Victorian sense of mourning, which once, you know, was carried on to World War Two and carried on World War One, World War Two, And then by the time you hit the 50s and 60s, people are like, oh, we don't want to, we don't want all this death around. We want to live. But what they did was they swept everything away, yeah. completely opposite to what I just said. And then you lose this idea of having a black armband. You know, so my, my mum went to school when her granny died mm. with a black armband. Yeah. Like she's that generation. But like, you know, which is what why I currently am out of stock, but I used to sell badges that say, please be kind, I'm grieving. Mm. So that we can communicate this because it's so crazy that so much of the world, so much of the time you have to go out into the world and people don't know what the hell is going on with you. Yeah. Obviously you don't, it's nice to be in a time where you're not forced to be dressed in black for two years. Yeah. That <laughs> That's too. definitely, unless you're a goth, in which case you're doing that all the time. Yeah. Um, but I think this idea of, yeah, being a, being allowed to show show your grief yeah. is also now kind of frowned upon and seen as a bit distasteful, weirdly. Do you think so? Well, in terms of like, if somebody's still grieving after two years, there's definitely a British attitude, at, which we talk about a lot on the show of like, are you still sad? Isn't oh. it time you, tick tock, come on, time to move on. Oh God. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and I we talk no. about it all the time of like, why you know you would and I always reference it to to being a parent you would never say to someone god your kid is four you're still looking after him been four years that time he kind of started looking after himself and you stopped talking about him yeah or even like even more apt metaphor would be like what your kid is 24 and you still care about them yeah 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 yeah. it's like they're grown up exactly um get over it (laughs) yeah get over it get over your concern as they know they're not a child (laughs) Yeah, we we have lost so much. And I mean, especially given what is going on right now everywhere, mm. like this planetary wake-up call. 
and this like yeah. global global shock and perhaps stock taking of maybe we really aren't doing this the right way. Mm. Um that's such a huge part of it. And I spent you know I landed um here in New Zealand to wrap up a year long tour where oh, I talk wow. um I talk very openly. I my show was, you know, I did it all year. It was a 4-hour show and I talked very candidly about losing my best friend, having three abortions, having a child and having a miscarriage. And mm. every night it was awesome. Um and also, you know, it it really liberated a lot of people or at least they told me to just open up about stuff that they were sitting on because it was it was just like it was a very permissive tour and it was like mm. go to the lobby in intermission and just fucking you guys know what to do just go for it you have my permission and you know the world right now is it's so badly shaped it's so badly shaped for so many reasons but like you just said we've chucked out so many important things in the vapid race for progress <laughs> and i think we're only just really starting to wake up to everything we threw out in the bathwater thinking it was all garbage because it was not I modern have- and because it was not metropolitan and because it was not progress and because it was not shiny and new and because it was un- uncomfortable as well i think the la- a large part of it is things that make people feel uncomfortable and s- sadness and vulnerability are hard to deal with they're not fun <laughs> yeah so we but run it's away also like it's all part and parcel of this idea that everything can be all profit and all gain mm. and the stock market will just rise and rise and rise and will just always go up and never down and it's like yeah yeah what makes you think that that is happiness like what makes you think yeah. that that is growth what makes you think that that is real and it is like a very it's like the very Donald Trump way of looking at the world it's like only mm. happiness only project awesomeness only growth only winning that is a good life and and wherever that came from that like terrible illness <laughs> of like you know it's so um yeah it's clearly so wrong there's got to be there's got to be a down to the up and there's got to be an up to the down or none of it's going to feel real yeah i was just reading a book um i just don't remember what the woman is called oh catherine may um called wintering and her that her whole theory is about like we've lost the ability to winter like we can't we can't see the ability to and she talks about it as like uh, we you can winter at all different points in your life you know like you might be very ill you might have a grief you might suddenly need to like hibernate and draw yourself in yeah. we've lost this ability to see winter as a positive to see like yeah. okay everything dies everything is not here nothing is nothing is growing nothing is like on the up is happy is joyful is full of life everything is death it's the opposite and to allow yourself to have that and she talks about countries that have real real cold you know sort of like Scandinavia and Finland countries that still take winter very seriously because they have to Mm. and so they still see winter as a really important 
aspect you know you prepare for it you get ready and then you disappear and you don't see people and you think about what you've done <laughs> and I think go to your yeah, winter and think about what you've done yeah <laughs> yeah and I think it's an interesting totally. especially as you said in terms of capitalism and Trump and this idea of happiness being happiness being the only goal and happiness equals productivity and productivity equals wealth and yeah. that everything being on the up and not allowing and I think that's why when people are faced with grief because grief doesn't make sense it doesn't offer any when initially when you face it it doesn't offer any seemingly any hope it just seems bleak you think what is the point of this as a human like what is this doing for me and I thought that was a really interesting phrase you use like grief as growth I think that takes time to accept that and to see yeah. grief as growth yeah it, this reminds me a lot of another wonderful book by Wayne Muller called Sabbath which is basically the mm. same thesis you know the 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 Sabbath is the winter it is a very yeah, yeah. it is a very um you know and his book isn't about the 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 traditional Sabbath it's about an any Sabbath um mm. the idea that there has to be a pause in the dark otherwise the whole thing just doesn't really function when did you feel like you understood grief as growth like was that was that the like you said this the miscarriage you went through was that something that really taught you that I don't think there's a simple answer to that I think it has been one mm. one very long set of stairs um at the beginning of my show I talked about how I lost four people in six months when I was mm. 20 I lost my very, very fresh ex-boyfriend to an overdose. And a couple days after that, my grandmother died. A couple months after that was when my grandfather died. And then a week later, Carl died, my brother. And Oh, my God. And I was ill-equipped, to say mm. the least. I was just really lost. And I do not think it's a coincidence that that was a really alcoholic year for me. And I was mm, newly, yeah. newly liberated from, you know, the shackles of living in my parents' home. I had just moved out. I had gone to college. I had gone abroad. I could all of a sudden drink in bars. And I was all alone. What What is so incredible about that six months is that you know, six days after those first two deaths happened within a few days of each other, I left the country and I didn't know a single person where I was going. And I went through all four of those deaths alone. Oh, God. All alone, like without a friend, without my family, without a friend, without a recognizable face, like just alone. And I drank a lot <laughs> like I just <laughs> yep. I and I you know and I was also so thrilled I in a weird way to sort of not have to deal yeah yeah I was like I get I I, I think maybe I'm getting a pass like I get to be off in this foreign country I don't really have to deal you know I can just like go to a bar any night I want and like drink seven drinks and like fuck a beautiful stranger like this is amazing <laughs> I can, and I can do this anytime I want um yep. and you know and also like it caught up to me um mm. and 
you know, and I like my drinking got heavier and heavier and I and I found myself in some really, really rough spots, especially towards the end of that year where the wheels really came off the bus and, um, you know, was was raped and dealt with a lot of really sticky situations where I'm really lucky I got out alive. And, you know, I don't think that's all a coincidence. There's no way. Mm. And I look at that and I was so unself-aware at the time. I had no... I had no idea what was happening. I was 20 and I was lost. But I also think I, you know, I was forged in a kind of a bizarro fire that year where mm. even if I wasn't quite awake for it because I was drinking myself into oblivion every night, something was still happening. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. I've been, re- again, reading a lot about the way that grief will wait like we can think that we can escape it. And I think especially I, I relate to that, obviously being a young person dealing with it, that you you kind of don't have the vocabulary or the emotion. So you just kind of try other things because you're like, I can't even yeah. comprehend what's just happened. Like my, my brain is looking through the files of my head and there's nothing there. <laughs> there's just like empty drawers when I go to how do I deal with grief? Yeah. And it's interesting that you said it's, you can think you're sidestepping it so that's what alcohol's really good at, like just making you numb and making you feel fuzzy and like, I'm not, this has gone away, but it's, yeah. it's, ha- it's happening in the background. Oh my God. Mentally, yeah. so Anthony, still going on. Anthony, my, um, my best friend who died, he was, he was also, he was a therapist and he was full mm. of great quotes and sayings. And he used to say, if you don't deal with your demons they go into the cellar of your soul and lift weights. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and, and, and also, um, you know, there's no statute of limitations on grief at all. And it, it will mm. just wait there for you. And, and, yeah. you know, and I think like Anthony's quip is very funny and it. And like, that sounds very menacing and ominous, but you know, grief will wait gently Yes, you know, I, definitely. I feel like there are relationships, you know, that I broke off or that were broken off for me 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that I'm still grieving. But, you know, it's like this soft, <laughs> undulating grief that that's sort of like, yeah, I'm I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here, but I'll I'll wait. I'll still sort of abide. I'll be like this abiding grief that will hang out gently until you're finally at the point of maturity where you can deal mm. with what you lost, what you did, what you missed, what you fucked up. Like the, and and I also feel like the older I get, the softer all of those things become. My own yes, ability yeah. to forgive myself not just now for my like many trespasses of you know unkindnesses or 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 whatever but you know I I wind back to 20 year old very very caustic drunk Amanda and I'm like oh you poor fucking girl Mm. and like grieve that year grieve for her grieve for what she missed because she was 
hungover, grieve for, you know, grieve for all of that and like allow for grief to be many dimensional directions in time and space. Yeah, I think that's a lovely, a lovely thing to, to like mull on. Um, because I definitely had that growing up of like this absolute terror of grief. Like it was the worst thing and it was waiting for me. And it was, it was a massive, you know, built like a brick shit house, as we say, uh, demon. And, um, and what it took me so long to realize of like one grief waits, which I used to think was, was, you know, threatening. And two, it took me so many years to be like, it waits patiently and calmly because it's not trying to destroy you. It just wants to be heard. Yeah. And that's such a that's such a long process. And I, you know, I interview lots of people who have just lost someone, you know, they're year one of this process. And and I I can see that you can sense that fear and that anxiety and that like, oh my God, is it gonna wrap itself around my heart like this forever? And you're like, obviously you can't speak for everybody, but in most experiences it's like probably not, but it, it just wants to be heard. It just mm. wants you to to feel its pain. And it's that's what we're ill-equipped for is we're ill-equipped to feel that pain yeah and it gets wrapped up in sort of doing grief properly whereas actually it's just like it's just so hard to let out something so painful because everything in our body is like don't feel pain don't put your hand in the fire that's yeah run, run well, away <laughs> um I have a couple of thoughts on that one of the um mm. what, one of the things is actually just a piece of very practical advice which is I found that and and also on the theme of wintering, when I was heading into my first upstate New York winter a couple of years ago, um, and I and I had also just had this miscarriage, a friend of mine recommended ice baths oh. to me, um, wow. not as an antidote to grief, but as an antidote to uh, hating the cold. And <laughs> and I went to yeah, him yeah. and I was like, "How do you deal?" And he was like, "Actually, you know, ice bathing can just raise your internal." thermostat so give it a shot because mm. I do it and I'm not as cold as I used to be <laughs> um and I and I watched this documentary about Wim Hof who um lost his wife to suicide and and he found that immersing himself in cold water ice water was the thing that could cut through the grief wow. and I found that there was something about getting in the ice and shocking my system mm. that really helped me mourn that's so interesting that's so interesting the other thing I wanted to throw your way is I um I imagine you've discussed this and you've thought about this and we've sort of touched on it a few times but that feeling that you might be getting too good at grief do you ever feel that you have a <laughs> yes. fucking podcast oh about it yeah, so yeah, yeah. I have a song that I want to recommend to you which closes that this album that I was touring on um the album's called There Will Be No Intermission. You could even play it on the podcast. It's it's right on point. Um, and the song is called Death Thing. And it's about that horrific sense that maybe you have gotten too good at grief. Mm. And I wrote that one after my miscarriage, kind of. I, I, I found it really hard to write about a miscarriage and that was sort of my way in yeah. because I, I, you know, I, I had such an empowered experience, like weirdly, not what I was expecting. I came out of my miscarriage feeling incredibly whole and very mm -hmm. empowered and very still and very good, which felt very backwards. 
not happy that I had lost a child. I was fucking devastated that I lost a child. But I also felt like I, I felt like a warrior. Like I felt like yeah. I had really stood in the fire and, and done a thing and held death physically in my hands and been okay with it. I found it so difficult to write about. And it was so fascinating to me that the, you know, the final song that I wanted to write for this record was, was that one. And what came out is, you know, Amanda, maybe you should not be so proud at being good (laughs) at catharsis. Like maybe that's, maybe that's just a little too fucked up with an, with a wink and a nod, right? Because I'm me and I've always written about the dark and I've always tried to like go one step further beyond what you would think could be expressed because that's the that's the challenge that I adore let's try to end on a pleasant note you've ended endless things and you know how it goes you lick your wounds put them in a jar on a shelf Stamp on a letter to There's a whole thing there too about humor and how humor and grief must must sleep together. Like you just yes. you're not allowed to do grief without some dose of humor or you lose. No. Like you just can't. And you know, that's sort of like at the end of the day, that song, um, that closed the record and and closed the tour. That song is, when I think of it, it's kind of fucking funny <laughs> because it because it has to be, you know. Because yeah. at the end of the day, like really, what you're left with, like when all of the shit and all of the coal is finally just this little diamond, you kind of have to be able to look at it and go, <laughs> yes. And then everybody died. Um, and I lost everything and, you know, and it all fell apart. But I, yeah, I can laugh at that. You've really got this death thing done. I have the ultimate power over death because I can fucking laugh at it. Amanda, I think that is such a good place to finish talking to you <laughs> even though I would just keep going and I was so much I want to say but I was like that is too good a piece of advice to remember that when all said and done you are left with some some weird shaped diamond that is entirely yours yeah congratulations you really got this death thing
You can follow Amanda on Twitter at Amanda Palmer. She's also on Instagram. She's also on Patreon, Patreon, however you say that. And she has a brand new podcast out as well called The Art of Asking Everything with some absolutely incredible guests. Uh, You can download it and get it from wherever you get your pods from. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland. It was recorded in New Zealand where Amanda was and very kindly underneath my next door neighbour's dining room table for various reasons thank you very much and the music was provided by the glue ensemble and the artwork is by jade perkin and remember you are not alone ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.